0: Remember the movie Minority Report? And you had these precogs. They had this psychic ability to see the future. So much so that Tom Cruise was able to stop the bad guys from crime before it happened because he could see the future. Sounds far-fetched, right? Yet imagine, if you will, a CIA analyst, and she has all of the artificial intelligence tools she needs to do her job. Now she can see the unseen. She can uncover indicators and warnings, predict with confidence when the enemy will attack. She can help a commander, a general, a colonel know before the attack, before the bad guys hit, so they can stop them. Commissioner Gilman Louie understands intelligence and he understands technology as well. And he's got to walk us through the AI report on intelligence specifically and how intelligence and AI The connections are so deep and the most progress, the most use is there, right there. He has so many stories and examples that show how AI can help, how it is helping analysts and what we need to do to keep up. The intelligence community
1: probably will be the most impacted community as it relates to the benefits, the power, as well as the risks around the use of AI for intelligence. And it's sort of like, this is the time. You
0: know, talk is cheap, let's go off and execute. GovCon different, ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change. Gilman, great to have you on the show today. And when we're talking about intelligence and analysis and AI, this is something really near and dear to me. I started my career in CIA as a counterinsurgency Counterterrorism analysts. So it's a topic I love. Really looking forward to getting your perspective on a variety of issues. The first question that I have, when we think about intelligence in the U.S., you have, there's such a mystique to it, a romance. People think of movies like Spy Game and James Bond and so forth. What would surprise Americans the most about our intel agencies from your point of view? Well I think you know there's of course, as you pointed out the, the the glamour side of the Hollywood framing
1: of what the agency does and the men and women who work at the agency and certainly there's a component of the agency who does those kinds of human kinds of work, but the bulk of the work is done in the analytical functions right, mm-hmm. and if you kind of go into the agency as as you have when since you were working there or I had the opportunity when I was running Inkytel, you know the process has been a refined process on how they deal with the entire, what we call the intelligence cycle, right? The, mm-hmm. the ability to task, to, to collect, to process the information, the exploitation of that information, the analytical function, all the way to the briefing, right? Mm-hmm. Then that those briefings are really important. And if anything breaks in that chain, the system doesn't work. Right, because yep. it, doesn't, it doesn't get to the. I mean, great, you, you do. You, you had this really cool way, you found this, you know, piece of special, exquisite information, and you use this exquisite piece of hardware to go get it, right? Um, and it goes all the way through, and then it ends up on the cutting room floor on the PDB, and it never gets mm-hmm. briefed. And yes, and, and I think that would surprise people. I think the other thing that would surprise folks. Is in spite of all the advances that we have done in the intelligence community over the years, over the last several decades of modernization, right, there's still a large component of the of the agency that's basically stuck in kind of you know pen and paper, office cables. You know, you know, mm-hmm. when, when I was shown my first cable, I go, what is this? It's like all in caps letters, right? Had, had, had anybody figured out lowercase at this particular point in time, <laughs> <laughs> right. right? So I think that would surprise people. I think from the AI commission, what is equally surprising is that the commission looked at all of government and, and we wrote very clearly as impactful of the opportunity that AI is gonna have across government, across society, the intelligence community probably will be the most impacted community as it relates to the benefits, the power, as well as the risks around the use of AI for Mm -hmm. for intelligence.
0: When you mentioned the people would be surprised that in places there are old systems, old computers, et cetera. It reminded me, before I joined, I joined in late 99, 2000, and I'd watched a lot of the Jack Ryan movies and so forth. And they show these incredible capabilities where you have these giant movie screens and the satellite and so forth. And then when I actually saw the real thing, I was so disappointed. I was brought back to the office. And the engineers were showing me, I'm like, wait a second. I'm not getting to, able to have my Harrison Ford moment here. So I totally can relate to that. Cliff and I have really been working through the report And the report is fascinating. When you talk about Intel, Gilman, being able to benefit more from AI than anything else, could you tell us more about what you mean by that?
1: I mean, I think the best way to think about how AI uh, could impact this is, uh, let's take a hypothetical situation, right? And and, Because that puts context around Mm -hmm. these technologies. And we're not talking about speeds and feeds and bits and AI processors and those things. And let's say... Um, just for the sake of this this framing, I'm a Iran nuclear analyst, right? Trying to figure out what's really going on in Iran, right? We get, and so the current process we do is we, you know, analysts read a lot of reports that they, they read their collections. They have technical collections, you know, satellite imagery, uh, you know, we use all source information we, is our, our version of, you know, what most people would say, you know, just Google it. You know, we have our version yes. of, of that too in the community, but it's a very time and manual intensive process across mm-hmm. that whole spectrum of what we do. Now, let's imagine 10 years from now and where we have AI fully integrated into that entire cycle, right? The <laughs> tasking, right? Telling what, assets you're going to use whether it's human assets or a satellite or a sensor somewhere to go like put your collect capability to get this piece of information and there's a whole human tasking process we use right now the ai can go i can scan all the open source information the ai can look at all your current collections it could see something a pixel move on an image and and it will recommend to the humans Look here. Here are four mm-hmm. places which the algorithm would look. So, so, so one is the efficiency that AI could bring in and, yes. and, and the reduction in time. Second, it's computer to computer. It's not just human to human, right? Humans can't keep up with computers, but AI can, right? So now the analyst goes out and says, light up my cyber sensors. See what that country is doing. Okay, now getting into the collections. All the pixels are coming in, all the data from all the sensors sensors are coming in. We have this thing in the community we call expert bias. And our expert bias is somebody who's been in the trade craft for a long period of time, 10 years, 15 years. Uh, we automatically default to pattern recognition. So the yes. human pattern recognition is I seen this before, or I've been trained on this, or I studied this. So what I'm seeing today, Most likely is what happened before with today's context. Mm -hmm. The problem again is uh, that's very susceptible to surprise when somebody does something different than what happened in history. Number two, the adversary is trying to hide. They're trying to confuse us. You know, they're gonna make it easy on us, right? They're they're throwing up a lot of dust and smoke and misdirection. And and again, the poor analysts. You know, we're seeing they're looking at that there again. Now the AI can go out and test hypotheses at machine speeds, right? and start mm-hmm. reducing down the set of potential outcomes. Now, here's the cool part. If we have the models, somebody built good models around about the people, about tracking the patterns of life, yes. we can actually then take those algorithms and run it in the simulation to, again, refine our understanding of what could be the possibilities. Now, on the other side of that, on the briefing side, you know, now we produce all these reports, and the analyst is like, "I got to communicate this to the principals." The principal could be the president of the United States, yes. it could be the Secretary of Defense, it could be Director of Central Intelligence, it could be the Secretary of State. Now, the AI also can be designed to understand the other information source, bombarding those principals. Like they got something on Fox News. They got something else on CNN, right? State Department put out this other report and the AI can actually help with the analysts present the information in a way where the information gets through the clutter. Mm -hmm. There's this huge opportunity to kind of reinvent the intelligence community, even rethink about how we do this this linear process that we call the intelligence cycle, that we be much more efficient, much more effective. Mm and allows us to better use the critical asset that we have, which are those analysts, right? And those collectors. As you know, it takes eight to 10 years to, yes. perfect, to perfect the tradecraft of a st individual or, or somebody in operations or somebody in the analytical function or somebody in support. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to use those assets efficiently.
0: And, you know, as you make the case and very ably, so it strikes me that we're talking about An analyst being able to get the right data or information at the right time to have that competitive decision-making advantage, or at least to provide that to the principal, and that the confidence now in what we know or don't know, that increases as well. And I'll tell you, Gilman, I was watching some documentaries in China, and their smart cities and so forth, and it's mind-blowing to me. They're already doing a lot of this stuff right now in real time. So when we think about the opportunity, you just mentioned that it's an exciting time for us to be thinking about redefining how we do our intelligence work with AI. What are the challenges in your view that limit the adoption of AI in the Intel community?
1: I think every intelligence professional takes the process extremely seriously, right? It's based on evidence. It's based on proven practices that we have confidence in even down to you, you know a report writer what words in what order appears on the page is a yes. qu- finely crafted art so this new technology shows up and it's like well where's the evidence right this is a new piece of technology mm-hmm. how do i trust it how do i have yes. confidence in it particularly given today's ai which we call narrow ai right it's not mm-hmm. like the the machine that knows all that like Captain Kirk had that's kind of called general AI. We, neuro AI is it's good at one thing and only that one thing that we apply it to. And it's relatively brittle. So so the first is the analyst's ability to have confidence in the technology itself. And then the community having confidence in that that the teaming of the human together with, with the machines and the algorithm and the, the data is a system that we need to have confidence in. Mm -hmm. That's tough, but here's the tougher part. The tougher part is, I don't want to use this in a negative way, but the culture of what we've been doing since 1947 in a new world where our adversaries or our competitors are already deploying technologies in their version of their intelligence community at a faster rate than we are. Right. Mm -hmm. So so this is not we don't get the luxury of, you know, we'll try it out for 10 years. You know, it's kind of like that cloud thing that took us a little while to figure out. We don't have that luxury because because a a country as committed and as advanced um, and respected as China has clearly articulated the timeline. They they are going to match U.S. capabilities by 2025. Right. Be superior to the West by 2030. And by 2035, dominate. And by 2049, win in any domain anywhere in the world. So they've set Mm -hmm. the timeline. Yes. Right. Now we got to say, do we just say, well, you know, that's kind of interesting. We'll just see how it goes. Or how do we compress that cycle so we can get that confidence that we can build new trade craft, we can change our workflows that gives us decision
0: advantage over potential competitors. So as we talk about that, and because you and I have experience in the Intel community and colleagues and connections, we both have an understanding of different ways of how difficult that is. One of the things in the report that you recommend is you and the commissioners that leadership, that a lot of the changes have to come from the top down. If, Gilman, you were having lunch with President Biden, and he's come back from his trip and afterwards, and he's talked with Putin and all of these things, and Gilman's on his calendar. What would you tell him as far as, sir, here's what we've got to do to change the culture, to get AI ready? What would your, be your message, Gilman, to him?
1: Now, First of all, we don't have the luxury of bottoms-up approaches to for adoption. This this is going to require leadership from the president to DCIA to the other you know 18 intelligence agencies that we need to have a uh, IC commitment around AI. We need to integrate not by putting the technologists in the separate necessarily in the separate directorate well well that's good there's goodness in things like the digital directorate right mm-hmm. it has to permeate across all the directorates within CIA as with the other agencies and you know NGA NSA, DIA, FBI, State Department—all the intelligence functions need a unified strategy. Second, mm-hmm. we need the appropriate infrastructure to actually service our organization. Now, that's where the IC has been ahead, right? Because we moved out early in IC right. Cloud and the cloud enterprise, those frameworks and the advanced analytical models that we, when even when you and I were around, that 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 we pioneered, you know kind of yes. recreating the analyst framework, but we need to make that with AI power versus you know the classical systems that we've had in the past. Now on the leadership side, it's not just good enough to push it down to the workforce. Our leaders, our deputy directors, right, our you know, GS-15s and senior executive members need to know how to use AI when it's mm-hmm. appropriate, and when it's not appropriate, yeah, right? Because, because there are things you shouldn't rely on it for. And then finally, we need a data strategy. For, for the love of me, for the last 20 years, we've talked about the importance of having a data strategy that's a community strategy. Yes. But it's always broken down to a big food fight of who gets to be in charge. And I get to husband my data. And yeah, the 9-11 commission said we you know, have a priority to share versus that you know they need to know Mm -hmm. we 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 pass all those pieces of executive legislation but it hasn't gotten down to the actual workflow so i would tell the president time's running we don't have a lot of time and we need a governance mechanism right so we probably need a disruptive technology Group you know, a steering committee on emerging technology of the senior leadership within the IC, and mm-hmm. you know take the the director S and T for DNI, right? Uh, I mean, uh, and put the technology hat on that individual. So the scientist hat be be the chief scientist, be also be the chief technology officer. This is not an IT problem right? And mm-hmm. this is the other thing, right? Everybody thinks it's just an IT problem. This is not an IT problem. It's a new way to approach intelligence and it needs senior leadership.
0: Yes. Now, a couple of things that come up as you're talking. One, you mentioned when it's not appropriate to use AI. From your point of view, when is it not appropriate for the intel community to be using AI? Well, there, there's some hard lines and there are some things that we need to study, right? Mm-hmm. The
1: hard lines are things like anywhere where human judgment is necessary for escalation Mm -hmm. you do not want to turn that over to a narrow piece of ai the ai can make recommendations but if you allow computers to self-escalate you get yourself in these kind of you know accelerated conditions these race conditions yes where it's, it's sort of like this humans fail gracefully for all of our failings as human beings in the world that we live in, yes. we know how to fail. We do a pretty good job of failing and we know how to you know recover from that. So all these human systems are designed for that. But our failure rate is relatively high. Computers, done right, have a relatively low failure rate. But when they fail, it's ugly. <laughs>
0: you know, yeah. it's yeah, it yeah. really
1: bad, right? <laughs> so, so you want to make sure you do that. So that second thing is, you know these algorithms are highly dependent on the quality of the data and the training. So if you have bad data, biased data, if you have poor processes, AI is going to take it and supersize it, super yes. accelerate it. So your bad ideas now go at hyperspeed,
0: <laughs> right? Wow! Yes, yes, yes! Right? Scary.
1: Right. So that so you got to be very mindful, which means that you have to rethink how you do testing, evaluation. Validation, that process, that testing process, that confidence building process needs to be in there because these technologies have limitations. The second area that it has limitations on, it is susceptible to just like humans are susceptible to misinformation. Mm-hmm. You, we can design AI misinformation to make AI susceptible to it. So your adversary is trying to bang on your AI, yes. making it do, you know, things that they want you to do, not what we want it to do. So, again, being very mindful of what the adversary is trying to do. So those are the hard lines. You know, things like yes. don't put the nuclear launch codes into the AI. <laughs> That's <didn't launch. laughs> that, that right. a bad, bad idea. Now, here's, here's the gray areas. Just like with autonomous driving. I live in San Francisco half the time when and, and I'm not in Virginia, right? And so I'm back in San Francisco yes. right now. And the thing about San Francisco is you look out, you know, you go out in the streets and what you see is a preponderance of Teslas and yes. other advanced electronic cars. When the human starts depending on the AI, even when we know better, even when our hands are on a wheel, when it, <clears throat> we just assume the AI is in charge.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Until the AI is not in charge. And then it's like, what do you mean the AI is not in charge? My brain is like going, huh? What? The the steering wheel shaking. The lights are flashing. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Put down your smartphone. AI is confused. It doesn't know what to do. Human, please intervene. And that gap of intervention between when the machine drops off and when the human comes in, I could easily go down a quarter mile at freeway speed. So you can imagine... In the Intel community, this issue of human machine teaming, there's a lot of things that we have not studied yet in human psychology and reaction between the humans and the machines, particularly while under stress. And so yes. we got some we got some work to be done in human factors that we haven't done yet, and we need to get on it because if we don't, you know it's not just we were late on the AI, yeah, we got AI there in time. But we don't know how to use it appropriately in these kind of critical, important events.
0: Really interesting. And as you start to think about it, it just opens up layer after layer of thinking we need to do, huh? When we're redefining the agencies and so forth. A question as you know, there are people that are skeptics, AI naysayers, and they would say, yeah, but Gilman, you just said it's brittle and it has limitations. And all of these major, major recommendations that you and the commissioners are making, it's overblown. What would you say to that, to those skeptics that they're trying to make that case that, ah, this, th- these things are brittle. The autopilots aren't right. Even in information, you can fool it. What would you say? I, I think
1: that um, if I had a time machine, I would take all the skeptics. And, these are, and, and well, the skeptics are asking good questions. It's not mm-hmm. that these questions are invalid. Right. These are really good questions and they're thoughtful and they're done by smart people. These are not, you know, Mm -hmm. some Yahoo who doesn't know intelligence and doesn't know about our systems. But I would take them and I would transport them back in time to the 1920s. I put them all in naval uniforms and I will put them on the observation platform where there's this battleship that's floating out there. And these little fragile aircraft, a propeller double wings held together with wire and glue sink a battleship and listen to all those Emeralds who said, ah, it's just a fad. This stuff, is never going to happen. Right. You know what? You know, those Mavericks out there who keep talking about air power, right? Here's what we're gonna do. we're going to silence them and we're going to take the lead big thinker and we're going to bust them for screwing mm-hmm. with our Navy. Right. So, yes. because your adversaries are watching the same demonstration and going, holy, we can sink ships with it. We, we can win wars with this, right? And yes. we, we, we can build really good torpedoes and real good airplanes as they love their Navy the way it was. And I would say this is true today, right, for the naysayers. Yes, it's brittle today. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has limitations today. But guess what? our adversary just had their Sputnik moment when they watched the computer. AI crush their national champion and go mm-hmm. right. Like five, zero. And when they watched it, take apart, even algorithms, you know, chess algorithms that have been 20, 30 years in development, take it apart with nine hours of training, yes. never losing a game in a game of, of a match of a hundred, they said, This is game changing for us. We're going and we're going to win this fourth industrial revolution and it's going to be led with AI. And if the West wants to sit on its hands and admire the beauty of their battleships, so be it. Because Mm -hmm. they are going to win if we don't do something, the rate of their progress. Well, we're ahead. We got good AI, good companies, but they got a whole nation approach and they're behind. But they're going to catch us in that 2025 time frame unless we change that rate. And that's why we said 2025 in the commission report is the target date for us to be AI ready.
0: Are there areas where in the Intel fields that you would say they're ahead of us now? China? Well, clearly their
1: ability to do things like facial recognition, right? Mm -hmm. Image processing they double down on their smart cities initiative and it's not just the cameras, their ability to use analytical processes against their digital exhaust of their society. Mm -hmm. They have this opinion that that it's important for them to keep as they would say, harmony uh, and security of their society. Right. Yeah. Which means everybody needs to be like marching together in unison for their common cause, different Mm -hmm. framework than us on the West and democratic yep. nations, but they are building all those systems. So that's social scoring systems. There are electronic uh, commerce systems that they can actually begin to model your behavior, what you do, when you do it, what your interests are, things that influence you, things that don't influence you, all those categories, they're ahead. Mm-hmm. They're not ahead of us on algorithms, but most of the algorithms are open source. And the Chinese kind of go, oh, if they're going to be open source, we don't need to like put a whole lot of energy on that side. Yes. right. There's one thing that we have that's a clear advantage for now, and that's talent. Mm-hmm. And that's because there's two factors on talent. One is we got the best universities in the world. The Chinese world, you just go to any Chinese website and you'd see the ranking of where Chinese students would want to go to. Their, their universities are 17 and 18, right? Mm-hmm. And guess what's one through, one through 16.
0: Oh yeah, here. Those yep. are our
1: universities. That's where we' where, where the engine of invention is done and discovery. They haven't figured that out yet. Second area that we have an advantage of, you know, and, and we could mess it up pretty badly of if we continue on the current trend, is the best minds in the world want to come to the United States. Yes, they want to work here. They want to stay here. Even the Chinese students, for the most part, want to come here and most of them stay here, right? Yeah, that's a competitive advantage. It's not like there's hundreds of thousands of scholars who go, you know what? I, I want to be in Beijing. Mm-hmm. But that could happen if we're not careful, right? Yes. The other thing um, that we have to worry about is, well, we have the advantage in the top two percent. In, in these areas like ai and quantum and these you know hot physics and and microelectronics the next two to ten percent of really smart people that's what the chinese is focused on and the interview is look we're just going to win by the laws of large numbers we just have more people sure. so we're going to nurture those people we're going to like we're going to build that engine up we're going to focus in on applications and And that's the final error that the Chinese have it has a slight advantage on us right now is the ability to take uh, AI and put it into applications. Uh-huh. They don't have those pesky things like privacy and regulation <laughs> right you know authorities, what's that you know all the things you know acquisition regulations right yes. all those things that kind of get in our way, but they don't have that,
0: yeah. Our sole focus is to help get this story out because as you are explaining it, the stakes are so high, they're enormous. I don't think 99.9% of Americans are even aware of the advantages you just talked about, that they actually have a social scoring system in place. I mean, that sounds like things you would watch on Dark Mirror or on Netflix, yeah. but it's actually happening there, right? Yeah. And so I believe it's so critical to get the, the message out. Now, I want to go back and focus on our intel agencies just a little bit again. As you and I know, and you mentioned it before, agency to agency, the tasking, the processing, the exploitation, the dissemination, the cycles, the way we do it, it's different. It's complex. It's Byzantine. And one of the things that when we talk to folks like yourself and other people that know about AI, they'll say, applying it, training it. Actually integrating it, getting the models right is so difficult. So how do we tackle, if we go down a layer too deeper, how do we tackle that problem and actually integrate it in to where, going back to some of the things you talked about before, that we do have confidence in it. We do trust it. It is working. Yeah. You you know, we
1: can take some successes of of our past and apply it on a go-forward basis. So the community did... What I consider a really good job of integrating commercial technologies into their workflow—that mm-hmm. kind of web-centric capability across the community—you know, our version of Wikipedia, our version yes. of Twitter, our version of you know Microsoft Office. Right? We we had those mm-hmm. versions, and we used the best technology at that time to give us decision advantage. And I think the teams back then did it. A reasonable job and staying, they weren't like two steps ahead of industry, but in some cases they were a half a step ahead. Incutel was created because we figured out our value in the community is not our dollars, but our problems. Our problems are reflective of what society and commercial companies were going to have to face down the road. You know, we were worried about big data before big data was called big data. We, we were worried about search engines before Google became Google, right? So we were worried about these Mm -hmm. things. The second thing we did, and I think we did actually a very good job is moving to the cloud. And here's what we did probably better than maybe some of the other agencies in the government. We were not striving for perfection. We we, we didn't say, let's stop everything, shut everything down, have the super duper cloud that solves all problems, right? And then when it's perfect, then we're gonna like turn off the other systems and move all to this one. What we did was a very smart migration problem strategy. We said, what's the minimum viable product? And we used this yes. kind of DevOps approach. We knew that whatever choices we were going to make was going to be the wrong choices because it was Gen 1. I mean, this technology was new, cloud was new, right? And so instead of building it ourselves and using some of our great defense contractors who, you know, would partly have done a pretty good job, we went to We went to AWS. Why? Because they were already doing it. They were already making mistakes out there with the commercial world. So again, with AI, we can do the same thing. We can go after, here are the low-hanging fruit.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Can we put an easy button on the analyst desk? So when she presses the, the easy button, right, the AI button, no different than talking to Siri or talking to Alexa. And what it does yes. is it goes out and like, it takes all those reports that's in our inboxes. And, you know, if you were ever seen there as an analyst, that inbox is full in the morning. Oh, it's, right? it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's next stock, next stock, next stock is what your life is. Just pressing next document, next document, <laughs> next document. Right now the AI can crunch it and give me a summary back. It can resort the order, prioritize things. for So so we can use the digital assistant mindset as low-hanging fruit on AI as we then do some bigger initiatives around the data, creating that data architecture and infrastructure. And I know the community is already working on some of these issues. So it's not like this is new information, but they need more resources. They need an ability to use outside talent much more efficiently and they need to think change the procurement frameworks from the kind of mm-hmm. these old systems to a much more modern system of that that's like the way the commercial world you know software is feel it's a you know it's something you consume it's not something that stays stagnant you use it and then you move on we're, we're going to need to have that same kind of mindset so there's some work to be done on the procurement side the integration side but i go after low-hanging fruit Put some architectural strategies together follow what we did on the cloud apply it to ai i
0: really like that thinking and you know you mentioned that inbox it was at the agency that i got addicted to coffee before that i was not a big <laughs> coffee drinker but i needed it just to be able to get through that first couple hours in the morning right you know i don't think some people don't know gilman that you were a chief creative officer at hasbro and if you put that hat on, and by the way, I, we'd love to talk to you some other time about that work, because that had to be just amazing. But if you put that hat on and you said, here's what I want the analyst's experience to be, that when he or she starts that job, here's the experience. What would that experience be if you were the one driving that creative uh, project? Interesting. I was sitting
1: around the table. This is about 2003 and General Clapper showed up at an Intel meeting. Mm-hmm. And at that time, General Cla- Clapper was uh, running NGA or uh, NEMA. It was a four-letter agency. He made it a I three-letter agency. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> he went to three, yeah. General Clapper we are agency. now an official three-letter agency. Yeah. Four-letter agencies get less money than a three-letter agency. I don't need AI to figure that one out, right? So he figured that out. <laughs> that pretty quick. Right. But he goes, and we were saying they were going through a bunch of presentations. And he said, you know what? It'd be great. If my world started off with a picture of the globe, and I could just zoom in on the globe to wherever there's a problem, I can pull data. I can, I can get imagery. I can get human reporting. Right? It's based on X, Y, Z, and T. X, Y, Z is so the location. T is time. And then, yep. yep. Now here's a, my gaming part kicks in, and I said it isn't. Just t zero, t minus one, t minus two, t minus three. Right, going backwards, the the history of time about this spot in space and what has changed. I want to go t plus one, t plus two, t plus three. I want to run a simulation of what this, all the possibilities, these alternative futures. Yes. Of what I can, and I want to play it. I want to play it like a game. I want to be in the simulation, Mm -hmm. see what the possibilities are. We. Are so close to having that capacity. We have the globe mapped now. Mm-hmm. Most of the globe, interesting places, already mapped in 3D. This is commercial data. This is not like secret government data, right? This is yes. commercial data. You know, Google uh, and other companies like Digital globe, Maxar have done a great job in having that foundational layer. What we're missing is the imagination. Cause we're stuck with this stuff, right? We love our paper, we love yeah. our reports. And remember towards the end of my time at Incutel, we were looking at the PDB and thinking about how to reinvent the PDB. And so mm-hmm. great team at the agency. They actually let us go through a complete cycle up to they wouldn't let us in the room in the briefing of the president, but they, they let us go all the way through the entire process and out to the end. And that's right before. Briefers walked into you know the brief the president then you, you guys stay out there right
0: <laughs> and that's an arduous long process.
1: But here here's what was really interesting: the president started getting infatuated with video, mm-hmm. so we started showing up with these little eight millimeter players that had videos, and that became part of the briefing. This is before we held the tablets and stuff like that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it showed the power of alternative presentations of information when we were trying to explain what the opening moments of an attack on Iraq was going to look like in Baghdad. We took Key Hill, which is now Google Earth, mm-hmm. and we showed, we rolled the, the virtual missile in to say, look, if we go this way, we're going to create collateral damage. We can't do that. we got to move it around. And so people were living the simulation as they were doing the planning. This is 15 years ago, 20 years yes. ago. Today, we could do much better than that, right? And so mm-hmm. that's the exciting thing going forward, right? So you use the machine learning, the AI, the human teaming, the human analytical capabilities, and create a nice loop between the machines and the humans where other humans can come in. Because, you know, here's what the AI also can do. It's not just myself as analyst. I can ask the AI, who else needs to be in this meeting? Mm-hmm. It could automatically pull from the best minds what the appropriate clearance is, anywhere in government and bring them to the table. So I'm not trying to hunt down some old report that was written in 2005, that was buried in some s paper that DARPA did and trying to figure out what's going on. I can get that person on the phone or on the Zoom or on the Google, whatever it is, the classified version of that and have mm-hmm. that dialogue right now. So that we can transform the intelligence process pretty quickly with this new tech.
0: So interesting and the best minds as you and I know, We have incredible intellectual assets in the agencies. It is mind-blowing, the people we have. And as you were talking, Gilman, it strikes me that the power of AI for storytelling, that people can, instead of just paper, presenting information in new ways that people actually engage, connect, and internalize with. Almost like we watch a movie, we begin to interpret events as if they were happening to us. Yeah, and the possibilities for that are just mind blowing, frankly. And I think we're just scratching the surface of of what could be done there.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's a different experience. It, again, even if I go back to the old days, back in the eighties, DARPA had this program called SimNet. Mm-hmm. It basically they had this idea that we can hook up a bunch of simulators, tank simulators, M1 Bradley simulators, A10 simulators, you know, helicopter simulators into this kind of big virtual battlefields, and there was a real Really interesting experiment. And then we had the first Gulf War. And so we were getting these reports back on the Battle of 73 Easting, uh, which was a big tank battle, right? We loaded it up into the simulators and put everybody into the into the tanks. And it was a completely different understanding of what took place, right? It wasn't just a bunch of overhead imageries and moving a little, you know, iconology around, right, on on, on a big sandbox. Mm-hmm. We could see what the command, tank commanders were seeing. We could see what the tankers were seeing. We lived for that moment in that simulation, understood the fog of war, what they couldn't mm-hmm. see, what they didn't know. Yes. And that presentation changed the way we thought about how those events unfolded. Now go mm-hmm. forward where we are today. We again can show and demonstrate to individuals, whether they're war fighters, intelligence analysts or principals, not just mm-hmm. what we know, about what we don't know and we could recreate that emotion, there's a big difference between passive viewing and active participation. Yes. A year ago, I was in this, I won't tell you which department, I participated in a war game, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking like, I'm going to go to the Department of Defense. I'm going to go down to this secret room in the secret basement doing the secret project. I had to sign Mm -hmm. all these pieces of paper that says, this is a secret. This is in this compartment. I can't talk about it. Right. So I can't talk about that. But what I can tell you is my disappointment that the war game, the simulation was basically PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. I go, is this all we got? (laughs) (laughs)
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> there's like you know, there's a person who's narrating. Right, imagine this, right? You know, with their hands, and it's sort of like, is that the best we got? We can do
0: better. Yeah, absolutely. As our time is winding down, a couple quick questions I'd love to throw at you, and really appreciate you being on the show. When we think about open source. Back when I was as an analyst, there were grizzled veterans that that's not even Intel. It's not classified. It's not Intel, et cetera. And we've been hinting at a lot through our conversation of why open source is so critical, but love to get your thoughts on that, on open source and the criticality of it and getting better at it.
1: Yeah, well, well, um, there's a whole industry around data now, two orders of magnitude larger than when we were around at the agency. So data drives the world. And the information brokers and all the services are built around, including the open source code, to deal with that data. Mm -hmm. It isn't the end all to itself. When you take that open source data and you integrate it with commercial data and then our exquisite data, Mm -hmm. we get a different view, particularly if we can process it at at speed. Now, here's the challenge for those people who say, you know, that open source data is not important we know today I and mean, we find this in cyber all the time right that the clues are in the open source data yes right the tips are in the open source data now those are tips they should keep up an exquisite sensor us wasting our exquisite collection capability on stuff that's already been collected means that mm-hmm. we're not putting our energy on things that only we can do open source is messy it's dirty it's prone to manipulation. But this is again where these advanced technologies like AI can come on in and help us decipher through all of that, help us kind of prune between the good data, the bad data, the biased data, and you know, be able to test the data with the assumptions. Yes. We we can do that. And the commercial world, by the way, is another part that we don't put enough attention to. Right. And we've always bought some level of commercial data for, from industry in in the intelligence community. But there's so much information that's available, that's critical for us to process that lives in private companies' hands. And we need to build Mm -hmm. those trusted partnerships and relationships with those companies, still respecting privacy, still operating within our authorities in our lane. We do not want to boil the ocean. We 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 do not want to like just put everything in the big data lake and this just turn up and boil yes. and see what the stew shows up with. We're not doing beautiful <laughs> mind. We're, we're not going to do that, right? Right. But given our authorities, given the way our structure and our respect for privacy and the, the ability for individuals to come back and the transparency of our process and how we do with it, we got to preserve that. But we had to do it in the framework of this new world order driven by this new kind of technology we're mm-hmm. entering the era of great power competition and the, the thing that's going to power up that competition is going to be these technologies like ai and quantum you know machine learning and advanced communications and manufacturing all of that is going to change how we think about how we compete and how we survive and how we
0: lead one final question for you, Gilman, and this has been absolutely riveting. One final question. What keeps you optimistic? Because you and I know how difficult some of these reforms will be. So what keeps you optimistic that we can do this?
1: Well, you know, um, I had the fortunate opportunity to work with the Defense Innovation Board as a as a SGE, right? And, and so... Um, at that time, the SecDef and um, the head of acquisition came to us and said, we need to think about software differently. So we went off and tilted that windmill. So we, we, we said, okay, we're going to study this. We're going to make recommendations and we're going to change the law in the regulatory environment within one year. And we're going we're to change how we do software and we're going to change the color of money. Now, for anybody not in government, goes, change the color of money, it's always green, right? I mean, but for all right, of us right. in government, we all know the color of money drives everything. And so the, most people thought that you could not change the color of money in anything less than 10 years. We did it in a year. Yeah. We did it because we had leadership who wanted it. The workforce who was demanding it. Mm-hmm. Our, our partners, our industry partners, Said they couldn't get the job done underneath these old frameworks. So we had alignment and we pulled it off. I believe within the intelligence community, as we did with the cloud, as we did with advanced analytics back in 2000, 2010, we can do it again with AI. We have the best people, some of the best people in the world in our IC. That's amazing. Mathematicians, scientists, mm-hmm. practitioners, People understand the trade craft and this new generation of folks that we, we have brought into our communities, this younger generation of intelligence officer, as smart as we like to think we are, quite frankly, they're smarter, but don't tell them that too loudly. They're actually smarter, right? They want it. So if the desire is there, the leadership of the country, the Congress also wants it. We can get there. Americans always rise to the challenge of competition. Mm-hmm. Now we have a competitor, a worthy competitor, unlike any competitor that we've seen in the last 100, 150 years. And it's sort of like, this is the time. You know, talk is cheap. Let's go off and execute.
0: We are going to do everything in our power to help get this story out and this critical message. Gilman, we really appreciate you showing up on the show today to walk us through all of these Intel matters, why it matters, how we get better, and how we tell the story better. Thank you so much.
1: It's great being here. Take care, good luck, and you know, everybody just, just stay on it. 2025 will be up upon us in,
0: in a heartbeat. Absolutely.
1: Oh, don't forget, July 13th, we have a big... A big conference, international conference. Keep your eyes on NSCAI, right?
0: July 13th, mark that date on your calendar. Okay, we'll do it. Take care. So I told you that Gilman had stories, didn't I? And there were a couple of them, the boat story for the skeptics of AI and how once air power was thought, "Eh, we don't need that. Obviously, nobody has that thought today. Then I love some of the stories with General Clapper and developing the president's daily brief. And how, instead of just in paper, how the analyst, that principal, the president, becomes part of the story. You see it. It's visualized. You're an active, emotional participant in it. And that can happen through AI. Love the thought of AI bringing the analyst into the scenario. Weeding out a lot of things that the analyst doesn't need to see, then providing them with several options to look at and the discussion of how no human person can keep up to what computers and machine speed can do. lot of really, really insightful thoughts on why we need to get this right regarding the intel community, analysts, and AI. Check out the report at nscai.gov. Love to hear your ideas. Love to get you on the show if you have something to say. Maybe you have different thoughts than Gilman and you say, huh, you hadn't thought about this piece. We'd love to hear it. Hit us up in social media. Conversation on this is going to be really key. And as always, we're not going to solve these problems, as Einstein once told us, with the same thinking that's got us into it. We've got to think differently. So keep being different. GovCon different. Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change. It's like TED Talks meets the federal space.
1: Different ideas from different industries uncovered, unvarnished, and smashed together to produce change in the government space. Join us as we explore a world of GovCon possibilities.
0: GovCon Different is produced by Market Advocates, LLC, and Nexus ATX, LLC. On behalf of Cliff Sundstrom, our executive producer, and myself, Eric Prostyofsky, your host and executive producer, thank you for listening.